You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. In this episode, we speak with two in the crypto and DeFi subsets of the digital assets industry. One is from the so-called TradFi or traditional finance area, taking a crash course in this new space and with his company offering a platform for trading various instruments. The other is an old school commodities and financials trader who moved his expertise to the crypto assets market and now runs a hedge fund that specializes in relative value, delta neutral trades, which capture yield for their investors. You're in for a treat as we get to know this fast moving topic. Enjoy. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is James Baron with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today, we're talking crypto with Sebastian Davies with Aquanow and Brian Tahaka with Warwick Capital Advisors. Uh, let's start with the intros. Uh, we'll start with Sebastian. Let's hear about uh, what you're doing now at Aquanow and uh, and uh, wild and woolly markets of crypto. Uh, yeah, thanks, James. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so uh, I only joined Aqua uh, this this year in January. Before that, I was working in uh, traditional finance, um, you know, working in everything from like treasury management, to hedge funds, and uh, most recently selling uh, equity derivatives. Uh, and um, uh, I moved to f- Toronto from Vancouver in the, the middle of the pandemic. And it was right after DeFi summer and kind of in the middle of uh, a pretty tight lockdown. And mm. uh, as a result, I... Um, didn't really have much opportunity for socializing. Um, and so, you know, someone kind of had brought up this, uh, you know, some of these money markets that were showing up like, uh, lending markets like Aave and stuff. And, um, it was quite interesting to me, this kind of intersection between, um, you know, technology and the, the businesses that I was already kind of interested in. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was able to fall quite deep down the rabbit hole, um, courtesy of the, the weird circumstances, but uh, really glad I did. And I knew the guys here at Aqua now from before and what they were doing and um, had been, you know, keeping tabs on the, on the project. And so I, I kind of reached out and wanted to see if there's a way maybe to, uh, to, to help um, over here. And so, you know, we've got some, some different uh, initiatives that, uh, that I'll be trying to help out on, on like the investing and um, some communication stuff. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, happy to help with that. Uh, but uh, yeah, as it as it kind of complements Aquanow's overall business of liquidity providing and uh, trading payments and so on. Very cool. Well, first question is who moves from Vancouver to Toronto? I mean, I did that, but <laughs> and then during the pandemic, I mean, you're giving up all the great uh, you know sea to sea to sky stuff. But uh, I believe at least it gave you time to figure out uh, crypto. Oh, I need to move back, so <laughs> oh. I'm back in Vancouver now. <laughs> Lovely. And how did you find that transition? Maybe going from the so-called tradfi to to uh, to the new stuff, um, uh, the crypto. Is it uh, relatively easy? Because I've seen a few that that have um, have done that, and and we really use very similar instruments. There's some some differences, obviously, in the crypto market. But how's that? How's that been for you? And how long did it take to really get your bearings in the crypto markets? Uh, yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think because I really did have time to like quite literally immerse myself for, uh, for, you know, a, a good chunk of 
like a, you know several months before or maybe a year or so before kind of moving over i i found myself quite well versed like uh many of the people here are, are um, you know, deep in the crypto or digital asset markets and that kind of thing. But uh, they also have been running this business and so on and so forth. So I had the luxury of kind of coming in just, you know, having cast a very, very wide net. Uh, so so that was kind of uh, an advantage, I guess. Um, and then, you know, we, we try to build, um, you know, custom solutions for people who are generally, you know, traditional financial operators. Uh, so being able to empathize with how that might um how the, the people in those seats might be thinking about, um, you know, adding this technology and that kind of stuff helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's been a big one. And, um, but I think the, the, one of the biggest changes has been coming from a, a large organization uh, with, you know, tens of thousands of employees to, um, to somewhere where at the time was 40. Now we're a little bit over 70. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, trying to contribute uh, in, in, the, in that context, it's such a different, uh, such a different beast where you're wearing multiple hats and things are changing so quickly and you can really have, see like the impact of your work uh, kind of immediately. It's, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And let's hear about your product. So I guess when you got there and then how is, how is the, the product offering uh, expanded? I imagine it has, cause it sounds like you guys are going a mile a minute. Yeah. So, um, you know, Aqua started off as, um, you know, liquidity provider, kind of like some smart order routing technology, and then uh, has since kind of evolved into a bit of a, a, you know, a solution enablement um, and and how how that might kind of differ from place to place. So say, for example, you're uh, a robo advisor or a uh, discount brokerage or something like that, and you want to enable um, digital assets on your platform. Uh, you mm. know, it could be as easy as like adding a ticker and then keeping a very closed loop system. But then, if you want to add wallet functionality, how do you manage that? And so, there's all kinds of different, um, uh, you know, f- um, issues to to consider with that. And so, having done that a few times, we've kind of developed some some skill in that, and we're able to to build off of uh, that that knowledge, and then you know, kind of come in and offer this uh this experience as well as that like that kind of empathy i mentioned before of understanding Mm -hmm. you know what a traditional financial institution might be thinking about when they're looking to to enable this and um you know from that you know you we had some pretty big success um from from like word of mouth advertise or word of mouth kind of like you know introductions and that kind of thing um and uh so say you know some merchants looking to work um some some digital asset payments into their into their workflow then you know, we start that conversation and we've learned how to, how to manage that with, uh, within our, our own infrastructure and, you know, build some APIs for, the, to, for them to, to be able to, you know, send us flow in that. And, um, you know, so that's a new kind of innovation. And then, as I mentioned, we're, we're looking at some digital yield strategies, um, oh, yeah. you know, of, of different, uh, of different, you know, um, complexities. And, uh, so we're, we're looking to roll that out. Um, there's discussions around some, some stable coin and, um, uh, uh, like maybe some yield bearing stable coins as well. Those are, those are pretty early, early stage, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the pace of the market is breakneck. And so you kind of have to, uh, buckle up and, uh, go for the ride. Yeah, true. And some necks get broken. We'll see what happens with, uh, with a lot of these different, different, uh, options that are out there for folks, but let's, uh, let's go over to Brian. Let's hear about, uh, Warwick and, uh, you're based in Bermuda, right? So you're, you're way on the other side of the world or of the continent there. <laughs> I'm on the other side of the world. Yeah, so my name is Brian Tahako. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Warwick Capital Management. Um, we are a Bermudian hedge fund. Um, mm-hmm. Background is I cut my teeth in Chicago. I studied finance at Paul University in, in Chicago and stumbled oh, upon cool. 
summer job at uh, the Chicago Board of Trade my freshman year of 1993. So um, <clears throat> I learned uh, trading from the pits of Chicago, uh, moved from the grain room is where I originally started and then worked my way into the bond room and learned how to basically trade yield curve uh, between U.S. Treasuries. And then got my uh, start in trading in 1998, where I was one of the first electronic traders in Chicago huh. uh, and was offered the opportunity to trade um, on the U.S. exchange and on Eurex. Um, so basically from that point in time, I kind of became a modeler. I uh, designed models to trade European bonds versus U.S. bonds, built models to trade uh, U.S. equities versus European equities, um, was in the proprietary trading world. Pretty much, you know, my her my whole life, twenties uh, and thirties, yeah. and then um, stepped away um, from trading. Semi kind of retired, started some other businesses, and stumbled into Bitcoin around 2015, 2016 time. And the original kind of start was um, looking to start a mining fund out of Iceland. Um, so I I got to really understand Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Um, learn the kind of the ins and outs of that. And that led to me meeting a ton of people in the OTC market, uh, met a lot of miners that mm. were, you know, looking to do OTC trades. And um, my original partner who I learned how to trade um, bonds with introduced me to Chris Haymeyer. Um, Chris is uh, our chairman of the board at War Capital. Chris has uh, been around the futures industry, I think. I don't want to, you know, to age him too much, but since 1977, uh, and um, he ran basically a traditional um, proprietary trading, um, you know, markets for a long time, and decided to switch over into crypto. Um, and I came over and basically helped run his OTC crypto trading desk. And from that point in time, just how I kind of modeled um, bonds, um, I really understood that there was a, a yield inside of Bitcoin and in crypto. Um, so we started using building models to kind of hedge OTC flow and that expand expanded into basically uh, building our own what we call relative value series in, in Bitcoin, where we trade uh, delta neutral strategies to capture yield um, inside of Bitcoin. And we decided to spin that off into a hedge fund and found a home in here in Bermuda that we felt comfortable to launch the hedge fund. And that is our first series in our hedge fund is a crypto relative value series, which is capturing yield um, monthly inside of Bitcoin. And we're also a segregated account company here in Bermuda. And we're looking to launch uh, more series in DeFi um, options, potentially venture capital. Um, so we're trying to kind of just build a, a crypto hedge fund, but based on traditional yep. financial models, being more delta neutral um, and offering yield to investors. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that, actually. I've spoken with quite a few people that are trading kind of like you. Sometimes they're at a family offices or they've got a fund and, and everyone really wants to be, yeah, delta neutral. So you don't have to take on that market risk, but also um, having or that, that asset risk, but um, but using kind of the, the traditional ideas and 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 applying them to the um Made it the crypto ways. So maybe maybe uh, talk us through a trade here. Like, well, how would you uh, do a trade on, say, Bitcoin? And then what, what sort of instruments would you use? And then how do you keep that to be uh, delta neutral? Yeah, so we've we've created models um, using um, 
Bitcoin um, using a lot in different instruments that tell us exactly which way we feel the yield curve should be going. Um, so we mm -hmm. trade a, a, a spot um, trade and hedge it in a derivatives market, um, very similarly, you know, to a kind of a cost and cost carry trade. Um, so we'd be long the yeah. spot market, short the derivatives. And, you know, most of the derivatives in Bitcoin are either perpetual that never expire or they are monthly futures. Um, so we understand where our risk lies. Um, we understand when we think it should be going higher, when we should be going lower, according to our models. And so that's kind of a, a first kind of basis type trade. We do a lot of spreading uh, different months um, across what we consider our yield curve. Very cool. And how, like how, how large a trade can you guys put on? Is it like unlimited? Like many of the, uh, the, say the, the, the CBOT or CBO and yeah, other types of markets, or is it like you, you can come up guys, I know guys do like five or $25 million trades and I'm like, Oh, okay. That doesn't seem super huge, but yeah, uh, there's, can, um, you know, it. the capacity is there. We're, we're looking, you know, we, we just got up and running um, in January. Uh, we feel our capacity uh, for the first series is around 50 million to start. Um, you know, the the size and the liquidity is there in the market. Um, it just depends. Again, you don't want to get too large where it becomes kind of burdensome. Um, and you want to be able to be as nimble as possible and to be in and out of trades because the debt obviously, as everybody knows, it's volatile and the dynamics change very quickly. Um, so that's kind of our first, we always kind of use, you know, a thousand, you know, to, to 1500 Bitcoin is kind of our comfort zone. Nice. Well, let's go back to Sebastian here. So you're, you're, I guess, in the middle of these as well. Is, are folks like uh, Brian using your platform or is it more retail or what, what kind of clients do you have? And then do you see them using these types of instruments or is it more kind of plain Jane, uh, just getting the, the cash market crypto trades done? Um, so, uh, our platform definitely could be used to do stuff like this. Um, our business tends to be more B2C, uh, sorry, B2B. Uh, and so like the, and then the, the B's that we mm. deal with would have like, uh, tend to have like a, a customer facing opponent on, on their end. So, um, you know, the, the customers could, could offer something like that. Um, you know, I think the, the important thing to, to always keep in mind in, in these markets is that, you know, you're your relationship with uh, each exchange is kind of bilateral, right? So um, liquidity aggregation is it can be a bit tricky sometimes. Uh, like if you don't have uh, capital at, at all the uh, sitting, you know, available at all the different endpoints. So um, that's something that we do offer hmm. um, to, you know, to, to clients for sure. Uh, and, and it can help. Um, but, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we, we tend to see kind of more, um, you know, retail type flow uh, rolled up and then ex executed on our platform. And then we'll kind of manage some of the, you know, wallet solutioning and that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not exclusively the, the case. Um, and uh, within our, our, our yield strategy uh, fund that, that I mentioned, we have, you know, we, we will likely be employing, uh, deploying some similar strategies to try to get that basis uh that basis trade um, and, and, and capture the uh, the funding rate. They uh, you know they tend to do they tend to um, be pro cyclical, so the the rate mm -hmm. is um, higher as like you know the, like uh, exuberance in the market goes up because people are trying to trying to get long yeah. and uh, and so you know that uh, there could be you know 
pretty nice returns there uh, when, when the time comes. But uh, another thing, you know, is that if you look at uh, DeFi funding uh, costs or like, you know, we have this index that we run where it's like an aggregation of uh, lending uh, lending re uh, returns across some of the largest DeFi pools in uh, in, in in the space. Uh, you know, trying to make sure these are of high quality pools and only lending uh, kind of like truly asset backed stable coins like uh, USDC or USDT. Uh, mm -hmm. Those rates are, are well, though, between that and, and uh, perpetual funding rates, they're like a function of one another. It's like probably um, not, it's hard to say what specifically is driving what there, but um, they, they do tend to, to move um, with pretty good unison. And it's the same kind of thing there where you, as, as, uh, you know, exuberance in the market heats up. All of a sudden, it costs more to mm. uh, to uh, to borrow, and you can generate higher returns on the lending side. And so, uh, earlier this year, we really saw both those rates, especially the the DeFi funding, you know, really crash. And it's pretty interesting to see um, the the promises being made um, from people who were um, going to going to provide yield uh, to, <laughs> to clients uh, didn't really change, and yet the yields were coming down uh, all the time. So, you know, we're kind of sitting around scratching our heads a little as to like, how, how does that work? You know, it's like this safe, stable yield of like in the mid teens uh, when when the, the, the best pools are really only offering, uh, you know, two, three, um, you know, and, and, and uh, I, yeah, that's a mismatch. <laughs> exactly. Right. So obviously people were probably, you know, maybe not being as clear on the disclosures as they they, they should, um, or they were taking a lot of risks that maybe weren't being uh, fully disclosed or, or appreciated from the, you know, from the, uh, from the perspective of a capital provider, um, you know, and so I think the obvious, the obvious call out there is, you know, people were likely, you know, pretty heavily tilted towards the anchor protocol, which again was pretty mm -hmm juicy for a long time and like i you know you would have been tempted uh tempted to get in there maybe it has a small maybe it deserves a small piece of you know of a person's allocation but you know uh i think at like 20 percent, that would double uh in about three and a half years uh, your yeah. investment would and uh you know but you have to you know weigh that against the fact that it could go to zero very quickly too or or, or you know get severely impaired anyways and so you know, I just think as as um, as the market gets more uh, institutional attention, and, and you know, there's more data analytics that are that are um, provided, and and you know, different tools and that kind of stuff, that that'll really help um, kind of explain what's going on in here. Like, uh, uh, you know, the the basis trade's great. I think it's it's fantastic, and uh, you, know, de you know, delta neutral strategies are, are are awesome and like super fascinating and, and fun to, to 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 put together. Um, mm -hmm. and those aren't, those aren't the same thing, right? That in that case, you know, maybe you have some counterparty risk or whatever it might be. Uh, but, um, you know, just the idea of this, like, you know, kind of coupon like payment that, uh, that, that can be counted upon. Um, I think, you know, the, there's some communication or, uh, around maybe return expectations or, or risk being employed that, uh, that, that are necessary. True. Hey, Brian, on your side, are you guys doing these types of trades where you got this 20% kind of return or what, what kind of, uh, like, uh, kind of, kind of transactions do you have on? And then how do you, how do you get rid of that, that counterparty risk? Cause I imagine you're dealing with, you know, just another, another, um, regular, like a hedge fund counterparty. It's entirely different from facing an exchange in that. So maybe talk us to that and your, your risk mitigation. 
Yeah, so we're um, a risk mitigation. Obviously, you know, we trade on most centralized exchanges, um, derivative exchanges. So that's kind of where our counterparty risk is. We do do some, you know, OTC trading um, against, you know, counterparties. That would be our risk, you know, is is versus that counterparty. But, you know, settling every day and, and transacting every day with them, doing this for, you know, four or five years, you know, that risk is, you know, we feel has been mitigated, you know, years after years. Um, you know, for us, mm-hmm. for our investors, right, we we don't, we can't obviously promise any returns or, or whatever, but expectations are, you know, we can only expect what we feel and our model produces in the basis, right? And, you know, our main driver is always trying to be somewhere between, you know, a half a percent to 3% per, you know, per month. And, you know, like Sebastian said, like, Though that basis trade, the yield, whatever, is changing constantly, and it really depends on market volatility and what's happening. You know, contango backwardation. I think you know a lot of people don't understand is obviously what drives the derivative markets in in Bitcoin is a lot of people use them for leverage, right? So when they're able to, you know, think a bull market is coming. It seems that leverage gets really packed on. People use that leverage to drive things up. And of course, obviously, that's where you start getting these yields that come in and people are willing to pay those <clears throat> those yields because obviously, you know, they're using two, five, 10, 25 times leverage, right? So Ooh, yeah. you start driving those, you know, prices up. That's where this kind of happens. That's where that leverage kind of comes from. That is... I guess, different than traditional finance where we're from. Um, so that's kind of where you start seeing these absorbent moves, especially, you know, in a, in a bull market. Now, what people don't understand about that is when that turns and you go into a bear market, most of these derivative exchanges are your accounts are in Bitcoin, right? So you're using leverage uh-huh. on Bitcoin, which now when the market's going higher, that's great because you're, account is in Bitcoin. But now imagine James, when Bitcoin goes down, your account is in Bitcoin, the liquidations go quicker, right? Because now your account's going down and your trade is going against you. So we see obviously a lot more liquidations on the downside, which is built on top of that kind of model that crypto has built, right? You go on an exchange, you deposit Bitcoin, and you're able to trade Bitcoin on leverage on your Bitcoin. Now is that no, that doesn't sound like a good thing. Is that is that just like just how the markets are for the for Bitcoin that's versus I guess everything else? Or that's just like that just seems like it's fraught with huge problems, like like we saw in 08 and such. But uh, maybe there's maybe there's some reason for it. Yeah, and they have to remember, right? A lot of these exchanges were built on not using fiat, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, right. So to get on and off a ramp of an exchange. You know, originally it was deposit Bitcoin and then you use that as your trading account, right? Um, more exchanges now are offering USDC, USDT as a, as a value as well. But a lot of the exchanges are built on that. And again, it's, it's risk mitigation. Obviously, we're seeing that a lot in the United States and in places going, okay, these exchanges aren't welcome there. And because it's, you know, who controls it? CFTC, you know, SEC, what's happening inside here? You know, and the exchanges have their own risk models, right? There's no middlemen, there's no clearing firms, there's not everything is built on the exchanges. So what you mm. said 
that, what you said of that, you're getting liquidated as well on the exchange. So in some ways it's protected and, you know, the accounts are protected. There is no, you know, you, your, your price is hit, you're liquidated. There's no clearing from Connie and say, Hey, there's a margin call. And then it goes down again. You know, obviously we're seeing this in the news with Sam Bakeman free talking, you know, about this type of thing and bringing these type of derivative markets to the U S all that clearing on one exchange using um, computers and algorithms. And that's Mm going to be a huge debate that we're going to see for quite a while here of how this kind of comes into the U S and that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're here in Bermuda is to be able to regulate, you know, be regulated and trade them here. So the good news is you're sold out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't have to worry about a margin call because you're gone. That's interesting. It's, it's it's pretty clean, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how about for for folks who are not really up in the lingo like I was a few weeks ago, um, the idea of perps or perpetuals and how that relates to, because you mentioned also uh, OTC futures, which are, are they exactly the same thing. And then we didn't, we don't, we don't really have an options market uh, yet in, in, in uh, cryptocurrencies. Do you think that might happen? Uh, again, we'll start with keep it Brian and then go over to, to Sebastian on that for your, your product rollouts. So what's a, what's a perp? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when, when, when you hear the word perp, right, it, it means perpetual, right? So people use perp as short for perpetual. So think about anything that's perpetual. It never stops. Right. So a perpetual, what they call swap is basically a never expiring type of future, right? So there's no future date on it. Yeah, It just keeps rolling, right? Now, to do this, this is where the funding comes from and, and how they use that is for the perpetual to, you know, if it gets, they use basically a spot market. And if the perpetual gets above that spot market, then they're gonna have a funding rate on it. So if you're long and that perpetual gets too high above the spot price, if you're long, you're now going to have to pay a funding rate, and the idea oh, is yeah. they're going to they're going to distribute this funding rate, and that'll bring it back down, you know, the perpetual back in line with spot. These exchanges want their perpetual swaps to trade as closely to spot as possible. So instead of having an expiration date, they instead put this funding on top of it, and it never expires. <clears throat> Obviously, this was you know created by Bitmax, you know, and Arthur Hayes really, I think, kind of sparked the whole idea of trading crypto and, and people love using them and then you put leverage on top of it. That's kind of what a perpetual swap. Is. And, and the benefit of that is they can use leverage, right? So they can just put up a few bucks and control thousands of Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah. I mean, imagine you can, you know, you can put up your Bitcoin, you can trade, you know, put up one Bitcoin, you can trade 10 Bitcoins, care about paying a funding rate, right? If, if you're right, because obviously you're trading 10 times bigger. Right. So if you have to pay a funding rate on that, you don't really care if, if, if you're right and you can trade bigger. So that's kind of how the whole idea of derivative started in crypto. And to your point about options, there is a large options market in Bitcoin. Oh. Um, yeah, it trades on Deribit. Um, Deribit is the, you know, the largest options market. Um, the CME also um, in Chicago does have an options market, doesn't trade as much, but Deribit is the leader, trades a lot of volume. Um, we're, you know, you can trade Ethereum options. There's more options coming. There are also a lot of decentralized options chain exchanges getting launched. So options are a big part of crypto. Um, and so are derivatives. Very cool. How about to your side, Sebastian, you guys rolling this, this out as well. Do you have it or what's, uh, what's kind of your, your plans of global domination? 
<laughs> yeah, well, uh, I don't know that those are on the plans. Uh, at least I hope not, because then I would get even less sleep. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but uh, so I think, yeah, just some some um, some things that are interesting to me in terms of the the options market. Um, uh, you know, and, and the firm as you know as it relates to some like emerging themes. There is, you know, as uh, as Brian mentioned, there is there's a pretty robust options um, market in in some of the larger um, larger uh, tokens. And as a result, you're starting to see a rollout of, of structured products. Um, you know, whether that be oh, really? like a, like a principal protected note or, um, you know, various ways to like, kind of like even knock in options and all kinds of neat things. Oh that, are being that didn't take long. With. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is you, there's a lot of smart people who, you know, working on these trade desks, uh, kind of like the like the Sam Beckman Fried that uh, that Brian mentioned earlier. These guys are sitting around there by day. They're you know they're kind of like quant nerds, and then uh, they come after work. They can kind of hang out and check out what's going on in some of these other other markets and, and what, what's happening there. And um, you know it's not too different, right? You still got you know spot um, volatility and cash, and um, you know you you can kind of mess around with stuff in uh, in, in in kind of neat ways, package things together. So um, I would suspect you see a lot more uh, of that get rolled out. Um, you know, you're starting to see it already where you can have, um, like, you can get exposure to that um, to that basis trade, you know, through um, through a protocol mm-hmm. or, like, or algorithmically. Um, I, I haven't done a ton of digging into into that yet because I find these things, you know, you don't necessarily want to be the first adopter <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of, you know, through a cycle and, and how they kind of come together. Uh, but I, I do think you'll see a lot more of that, um, you know, and it's something that we're, we're, we're talking about. Um, I think, you know, it's tough. You don't have a ton of time series uh, to be able to, 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 you know, to run like um, the analysis right. that you usually would run. But, um, you know, that, that grows every day, obviously. And, um, and, and so the, the, the data availability kind of helps. Uh, and the other thing I think is kind of interesting too is as the market matures, you're starting and that time series again continues and you start to get a little bit more institutional involvement uh implied mm-hmm. volatilities have come down quite a bit as well uh which you know is kind of kind of neat to think about where the and i haven't checked them like like super recently so um take that um for, for what it is but uh i think just generally like in a broader trend if you if you if you zoom out uh they they have kind of narrow or you know kind of come down um which you would expect kind of to happen over time like the yeah. emerging markets uh etf for example if you track its its implied volatility you know it would, it would kind of match its realized volatility which which kind of trends lower as as markets mature and as institutions um you know, get more involved. And uh, I think you're seeing that here as well. So I think as, as that starts to, to come in a little bit and, um, and you have a bit more confidence and you'll see, you know, continued innovation um, in, uh, in, in the product space. Well, let's get philosophical maybe. So, you know, a few years ago, people thought Bitcoin and crypto was just like magical internet money. Literally they call it that. And uh, now I've just saw things, uh, folks saying that it's a systemic risk to the global financial system. Like it's, it's the next ter- most terrible thing in the world. So how, how it's kind of went like, how does it go from this little cottage industry of uh, $2 million or whatever it is to 2 trillion or something like that now. And then suddenly thinking like, well, this is a, try, kind of treating it like it's a $2 quadrillion system or something like that. So um, what do you guys think of this? Like how, how should people characterize crypto in, in a kind of a broader sense. And uh, do you think it is going to be one of these kind of like 
ubiquitous um, things that we're we're just really going to treat like the internet and and water and things like that. This is really uh, philosophical here, but I'm not sure. Maybe Brian wants to start off. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many, the thing is there's so many different angles that this can take. Right. And we don't know, we don't know the direction it's going to take, but we've seen, you know, the evolution of where it is right now. Um, when I first got into Bitcoin, I did think it was going to be just an internet currency and there's going to be transactions and, you know, it keeps morphing, right? And that's exactly kind of what happened, you know, how you looked at the internet, right? When I first got to college and I got an email, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, great, we're going to be able to send emails to each other. And it just kept morphing and morphing and morphing. And that's what's happening in crypto, right? And you talk about Web3 and Metaverse and, and, and everything that's happening. And, you know, it's when you talk about crypto versus Bitcoin to me are, are kind of two different things. Bitcoin, I, I feel, is in its own category. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We know it's a limited supply. We know it's fully decentralized. We know what's happening inside of the governments around the world and inflation. And people are seeing it as a store of value. Now, will it become a transactional currency? Yeah, it can. I mean, with you know, different layers built on top of it, like the Lightning Network, it can be used that way. But if you firmly believe in, in the philosophy, there's only 21 million of them, and we're going through this inflationary type period, and there's a limit of supply, and you think it's going to grow on a user base type type theory, you know, people mm-hmm. are less likely to spend it than they are to store it. Um, so there, there's that side of it, and then in the crypto side of it, that kind of spins into decentralized finance and and Web three and all these type of things. The interesting side of that that's going to take off is the realization of how many people are unbanked, but how many people have a cell phone. And when those worlds start crossing and people understand the transactions of this and and storing their wealth and potentially gaining interest instead of losing it with inflation, that's where it's really going to take off. And those worlds are all going to collide. And, you know, the horse is out of the barn on this. Like it's not going away. It's not doing anything. It's just, we haven't seen where it's going to morph yet. We haven't, we're just starting to see the first kind of instruments being used and what people are using it for. And, you know, it's exactly why we're here at War Capital Management is we want to bring those type of investments to people, bringing back an environment where people can invest in this and, and gain yield and be comfortable in it, you know, it's going to be a volatile asset, but there's ways to kind of smooth that out. And that's what just people have to figure out and understand. And I think, you know, the path is already set for what governments are doing. And I think it's there, it could be a systemic risk, but it also could be, you know, aligned with everything that's happening and and what the future is going to bring. Yeah, like I would, uh, I would, Generally agree with with what most of what uh, Brian's saying there on on along this topic. You know, I think, um, you know, uh, there's there's so much to say on this. I guess like the 
when I first got involved in the space, I, like I mentioned before, was this intersection of kind of money markets, which was a business that I was always interested in with, with technology. And then uh, as I started getting more involved, I started seeing some of the, the social implications, um, you know, not, not just the ones that you hear about all the time with, you know, helping the unbanked and all that kind of stuff, which are, you know, obviously are great use cases, but, um, you know, the, the community around it and, um, it's uh, it's a pretty neat thing to dip into. Like I, I know it gets a you know get some of the stuff on Twitter and uh, you see uh, you know elsewhere it can can get a bit uh, cringeworthy. But um, you know outside of that, there's a lot of people out there who are just trying to you know build um, neat technologies and neat projects to try to advance some cause of um, just make the making things better than they are today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that that goes a little bit beyond just the you know token price go up thing. But there there's a lot of cool cool stuff that, uh, you know, that that's happening in, in that regard. And I think as, uh, you know, as we move along, um, and, and now that we've got the, uh, everyone's attention, um, you know, unfortunately with somewhat of a negative connotation with the, the Terra Luna issue, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have, um, secretary oh, boy. start talking about like, you know, systemic risk and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it, it, it unfortunately casts a bit of a negative light uh, on the on the positive side, there are a lot of people, you know, in Washington um, trying to try to level, you know, uh, level that conversation a little bit. Um, but I, I think, you know, another kind of neat thing is, OK, so there was that blow up and uh, some greater regulation around communication and investor education and um and uh, disclosure would be would be good. I think that would have avoided a lot of the loss. But on the other hand, um, there was no bailouts asked for, um, or uh, you know, or, or or like you know, taxpayer dollars that are you know going to uh, to try to try to right right this wrong. Um, you know, we'll see if there's anything criminal that happened and if there was any kind of charges laid. But you know, I mean, there's many instances of of. You know, loss in, in public markets that are regulated uh, and, and that doesn't necessarily bring a, a halt to the system, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. what is it like things like Peloton or uh, many of those growth stocks are down, you know, over 90% from their peaks. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not great if you're, if you're holding those things. But at the same time, that's a risk that you that you you assumed when you when you, you know, bought, bought those shares. Um, and so I think the to to uh, mature the system, it would be a, like, I think it's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, I would, as, uh, a responsible regulation uh, would be good, uh, you know, in, in terms of being able to unlock some of this potential for, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, to grow this um, and, uh, and see, you know, where we can take it. Uh, but I, I think it'd be, kind of weird to you know close it off entirely because you know there's people there's a risk of losing money when that happens all the time or or to make it so like uh only accredited investors for example could get access to it would be also a little bit kind of well, counterintuitive imagine like a video game that that's has, all you know, so many other good investments are like pe and venture and all this like the little guy could never couldn't get at it this stuff they actually can and they can just go open up an account whether it's on a a platform or on a on an exchange or whatever they can they can actually get at this without having to make a million bucks a year or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. The guys who are down 95% on Peloton, you know, or, and I don't know this for sure. Maybe that's not the best example. I, I could probably <laughs> find a better example on this, but you know, this thing gets sold from, uh, you know, from 
private markets into public markets, that's the first time that the little guys can participate, and then they they wear this all the way down. Um, you mean like you know that that's a bit anecdotal, or yeah, then you take it private again. And, and, you know, you're right. With, with with Luna, it was forty to sixty. I think it was like sixty billion bucks. So basically, Madoff and Madoff was regulated and did have SEC audits and such, and and nothing. I don't really found anything there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a good thing it wasn't a forty to sixty trillion dollar problem, I guess. Um, so it's it's. I think it's good to have it. Uh, and then Brian, you may have an opinion on this too. That you know, it gets these kinds of things get tested, and sometimes they break. And sometimes they don't like China said no more Bitcoin mining and everything left China. And then, okay, that didn't blow up Bitcoin and, uh, you know, the difficulty moves around and kind of self-regulates, uh, in a sense. So, uh, what do you, what do you think, Brian, on this? We're all going through growing pains and, and lessons and, you know, Sebastian put it well, we went through, this was, uh, you know, our financial crisis and our Lehman brothers and the market figured it out. Right. And, you know, in any type of these scenarios, I, I took some time and, you know, we're, we're building a DeFi model, you know, for investors to get into. And, you know, when I went down the rabbit hole of DeFi, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a trader. If things look too good to be true, they, they probably are. Right. And when you start looking into a lot of these projects and a lot of things that they're doing, Again, it's it's hard because everybody sees the flashing number of these APYs, right? But when you dig deep into them, yeah. it's hard, right? And that's part of what's wrong with our environment is people are searching for that yield. So they see it. They see Anchor Protocol. They see Terra. They see these DeFi yields. And they're just like, oh, my God, you know, this is what I need, right, to to survive, right? And everybody's yeah. Then they, just, then they just click click OK on the terms and conditions. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Well, well, exactly, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, that's there. And that's, you know, again, that's the risk you take. It's the same thing as anything you do. Now, can more regulation and all that help with all that? Of course. But, again, the nice thing about crypto is – it's there, but th- there needs to be this line that that we're trying to figure out, right? That, you know, what can people invest in? What can people actually truly believe in? There needs to be more, tr- you know, transparency from these founders, from these projects, what actually is going on behind it. And people, right, the people need to demand that. And if they don't, then don't go into those projects, right? If you can't get your answers and you can't get your research from it, and you know, if if your developers, you know, aren't up, you know, who they are and what they're trying to do and how they're doing this mm-hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff, then you should invest into it, right? And that's really what we're going through right now is you know trying to figure out what's real, what's not, going through all this. But to go through what we just went through in May through this whole thing. I think the market handled it very well. Um, I think the the it, it's only going to come out of this better, and I think hopefully it does bring some awareness to people. And and again, it's just like any market. If you're not a professional, maybe look to get a professional to help you with it, right? Because not only traditional f- financial markets are a little bit easier; these are way more trickier to navigate through than anything in traditional finance. 
Yeah, and I actually like I think that as the market matures and as you start to get a little bit of regulation, then some of that like reflexivity that that Brian was talking about can come out of the system as well, right? Like just think about the idea that the architecture of some exchanges didn't allow for fiat. So then stable coins kind of came about uh, because of that. And then now they they might get regulated. But if you could have, you know, um, reliable, steady stable coins, uh, I think that that can really help like ma- mature, like f- form a nice foundation of that market. Uh, and so hopefully we can, you know, we can arrive at a point where, where you know, that those are I- encouraged and not necessarily the algorithmic ones, right? Those have their issues, but, you know, ones that are, are regulated, not like banks, yeah. but, you know, where there's, you know, regular audits of the of the collateral and that kind of thing to, to provide um, some security. And then that off of that foundation, you can have um, a little bit, as I mentioned, less reflexivity. And then you have, well, with a little bit more comfort, you get people who would be considered like a value investor be able to come in and then be that that buyer in a in a in a down market with some with some expectations that things will revert. But you know we have to have better understanding of where these networks are going to go, what what kind of um, metrics to track, uh, and and you know what the what the regulatory environment might look like for for owning these things. And I think as you start to get those those pieces of the puzzle put into place, then. Um, then I think you could you could have a, a market that looks a little bit you know more more traditional and maybe like there's a there's a real case to say that some of the some of the other issues um, can be can be avoided with with some counterparty risk around settlement and uh, and, and maybe even credit risk and that kind of thing down the road as well um, you know you have to have a bit of a dreamer's hat on for some of that kind of stuff but uh, the it seems you know reasonable to to think that that that's the the, the probability that's certainly not zero. Awesome. Well, dare to dream. I love it. Uh, I think we're, we're out of time here. Shoot. Well, you know what? We're gonna have to get you guys on another podcast again sometime soon. Cause uh, this has been fantastic. And uh, you know, it's been a great opportunity for me at least to ask some of the questions and get some of the background, the foundational stuff, but also some of the, uh, like I say, some of the, some of the dreams and where this, where this thing's going and, and how we can kind of tweak our, the, the new reality here. That's uh, that seems to be unfolding in front of us. So whether it's in five years or 10 years or 50 years, there'll be, uh, there'll be more of this, more of this, uh, in our lives. So thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks, Sebastian. And, uh, again, we'll have to get you guys on there again, on another uh, podcast sometime soon. Thanks guys. Be happy to. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Take care, Brian. Thanks. Sebastian.